Hey, are you wanting to learn more about your Enneagram type or maybe even discover your Enneagram type? Are you looking for how to take the Enneagram test? Well, check out Crosspoint Ministries' newly designed Enneagram testing experience. Crosspoint has been using the Enneagram with Christian pastors and leaders for more than 15 years, and they've made taking the WEPS test a simple and optimized experience. You'll get your test results immediately, no emails needed. Your results are displayed in a clean, easy-to-read, and downloadable format. Plus, you can create your own account where you can keep your test results, download your profile, and track your personal growth all in one place. To take the test, go to crosspointministry.com slash ENEACAST, and you'll get 20% off your first test. Just use the code ENEACAST at checkout. Again, go to crosspointministry.com slash ENEACAST and start your journey today. Externally, I'm quite simply terrified <laughs> that I will become someone who is no longer contributing goodness or love or care or nurture or kindness to your life. And if I stop offering that to you, well then, why would you want to keep me around? This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and today we are continuing our way through each of the types as we talk about conflict, and we are now going to go into the heart triad to talk about type twos and conflict. Type two, when they're healthy, these folks are warm, they're loving, they're generous, they're expressive, and they are like friendly, friendly. Mm -hmm. They're like befrienders. They're you know? lovely people. Yes. But when they're slipping into that unhealthy side, they can become possessive, manipulative, indirect, overly accommodating, and codependent. So conflict can come from anything. There is no shortage of conflict. And type twos, you guys know this. You know that every relationship you're in, conflict is going to arise in some way. But according to James chapter 4, much of our conflict actually comes from our warring desires. And what is the desire of a two? The two has a core desire to be loved. Another two said that her desire is to be treasured. Yeah. And everybody has the desire to be loved and to be treasured, but this really, really becomes pronounced for a type two. Right. Yeah, the type two finds their way in the world looking for love by giving love. Yeah. If I love you in this intentional, sacrificial way, then you won't be able to help yourself but loving me because look yeah. at how lovable I am. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a good word for the two. It's they're mm -hmm. very lovable. Yes, you know? very much. So they try to achieve this desire for love by being helpful and by not having any of their own needs. Yeah. Because if I just give, give, give and never take, 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 I'm just feeding your selfishness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like if I could go to the bank and they only gave me money yeah. and they never took it from me, that sounds pretty I good. I that bank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So conflict can arise, you know, when a two stops taking care of themselves. In other words, they lose mm -hmm. track of their boundaries. They don't know if they need rest or not. Yeah. They're giving themselves away to everybody. Or, this is an interesting one, 
either when people, they think people are taking care of them mm-hmm. because they're like, oh, I don't want to have needs. That feels, that's very shaming yeah. that you're having to take care of me. Or when they also perceive no one's thinking about me. No one's yeah. taking care of me. So the two gets in this real quandary around the issue of needs. Yeah. I'm not a core type two, but I have very high two. And I see this in myself when I'm sick. Like every single time I get sick and have to like really take to bed, you know, my husband's taking care of the kids and me like has to get me food. Like I'm literally like when I had COVID and I was quarantined away from the family. So I couldn't I couldn't come out. That was my act of love was to not come out. And every time he would bring me like a drink or food, I would get teary of like, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that you have to take care of me. But then if he went too long without checking on me or bringing me a drink or a snack, I'd be like, Nobody cares. Nobody even cares that I'm mm-hmm. up here by myself mm-hmm. and I'm sick. I could be dying. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I saw it in myself so I could laugh at myself and mm-hmm. text him and just be like, can I have a drink? Mm-hmm. But I really saw those two sides playing out in the same day, yeah. in the same moment. You yeah. Know? Having so. needs can really draw shame for people. You yes. Know? So when conflict does happen, what do we do? How do we approach conflict in a better way? Better than our tactics, better than our manipulation efforts, Mm -hmm. better than our running away or our freezing or our desire to devour and conquer. We want to take on Jesus's view of conflict. And we talked about this back in episode number 65. And that's these three things. Healthy conflict is good. Healthy conflict is transformative. And healthy conflict is an opportunity to love. Remember this. Every great story that you love is a character that goes through conflict and Mm -hmm. is transformed because of it. Mm -hmm. So with this in mind, let's take a look at two things. First, how does type two tend to approach conflict? And second, how does the two tend to resolve conflict? Lindsay, how does the type two tend to approach conflict? Well, again, we're looking at the two social style to look at how they approach Social situations, yeah, how they approach relationships. And so their social style triad is the compliant triad, which is the one, the two, and the six. These people, they want to obey internalized rules and principles in order to get what they want. So for the two, that's going to be relationally or socially, whereas with the one we talked about, it's more the right and the wrong, the getting it right, the being perfect. So whenever the twos walk into a social situation, They're looking at the people around them and assessing what -hmm. are the social cues? Mm -hmm. What are the social rules? What do people need? Mm -hmm. You know, where's the place I can be filling up? And so those can be spoken or unspoken rules. So when it comes to conflict, twos are asking this question, like, what's socially acceptable? Mm -hmm. What is acceptable to the other person that I'm in conflict with? And that's how they will approach the situation. I want to be helpful. And I want to feel loved and appreciated. That is their end goal in that conflict. Exactly. So the problem with that approach, though, is that the two is often seeking love and validation through that compliance. So they might not actually be addressing the things that they need or want because they're thinking, if I'm always helpful, if I'm always doing what you want and what you need, then you'll never reject me. But then the conflict is. But what if they do? Yeah. What if they still reject you even when you feel like you've poured out over and beyond what you had to give? Right. And then they still reject you. Yeah. Yeah. So twos can lose touch with their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own desires during a conflict because they are so busy mm-hmm. uh, making sure that they're complying to the the 
form of the relationship, whatever the other person needs, they just want to comply to that. And so the two can really lose themselves in the process. And, you know, this is a red flag that you are going into an unhealthy place and some explosive eight energy, it may be nearby, but you can use, you know, if that eight energy, you start to feel it, you're two, you're in conflict, you can feel the temperature rising. You can use the healthy side of eight to get in touch with your desires and get your needs met before you explode. Mm -hmm. You don't have to hulk out. Right. So the gift that the two brings is that they are so committed to their promises. And actually, even more than that, they're committed to their people. You know, if if you're their people, they are going to follow through with what needs to be done. And that's including in a conflict. They are going to be wanting to make sure the relationship. So being compliant is actually a part of the two's superpower because they see other people's needs and feelings. And that's how they're able to comply. And other people sometimes don't see those needs. Right. So they can make people feel extremely loved and welcome and taken care of. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so those are some of the ways that a two approaches conflict. Let's take a look at how a two resolves conflict. So the preferred way a type two resolves conflict is through their conflict resolution style. And this style also comes from Rizone Hudson. And for a two, their resolution style is positive outlook. So they share this with type seven and types nine. And this means that when a two is dealing with conflict, they want to look on the rosy side of things. You know, they're optimistic, they're cheerful, uh, you know, at least initially they are. That comes from this belief, like, if I'm not cheerful, then I'm not lovable. Mm-hmm. So I need to stay sort of lovable. And to do that, I got to look at the bright side of life. Right. So their first instinct in a conflict is not to sweat the small stuff. They are going to be very dismissive of little hurts, little exhaustions, little slights, those kind of things because of that positive outlook. And you can see how a positive outlook and compliant duo Mm -hmm. could be very dangerous. Yes. Because you're already trying to dismiss it and then you actually step into it and then you comply and that goes round and round and round until one day you're like, enough! Yep. (laughs) I can't stand any of you people. And here's what's fascinating too. A lot of the twos that I know also just have like these profound memories. Mm. So even though they're complying and even though they have positive outlook, They're actually storing in their memory a lot of these infractions and these wounds from other people. So they try to bury them. But then what happens is that because they're unaddressed, suddenly they like erupt. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, the gift that twos can bring through positive outlook is that they can frame challenges into a broader context Mm -hmm. and assist others in seeing when conflicts do or don't need to be addressed. So they often consider others needs first before Mm -hmm. their own in a, like a very loving and accepting way. Right. So if you have more of an assertive or a more withdrawn person, somebody from this positive outlook really brings what the others are lacking. Yeah. Because they are thinking emotionally, they're thinking about the other person, and they're yep. trying to find a happy way forward. Mm-hmm. And we need all three to kind of have a balance. Yeah. The challenge, though, for the twos is that They're often tempted to ignore conflict and dismiss their own needs and desires until they just can't hold it anymore. Right. And then they either explode or twos often manifest that physically. Mm -hmm. Like they will get ill. Mm -hmm. Like they might develop a twitch or a headache or anxiety or rashes. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of twos say they had so much stuffed inside of them that it literally started leaking out, you know, through their skin. Yeah. 
Yeah, we are our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've also seen twos just literally peace out, you know, yeah. where it's like, I can't even take this. I'm, I'm done here. Yeah. So positive outlook types benefit from having teammates who can frame conflicts in a positive way, mm-hmm. including showing how immediately addressing the problem is going to help in the big picture. Mm-hmm. So when there isn't any sort of softening or positive outlook, these types, they can quickly become overwhelmed by all the negativity in the room. Like if you're like, just piling it on and you're not putting any sort of, you know, positive outlook on this thing, it is really going to beat them down because their identity is just so closely associated with how helpful and loving they are and how others perceive them. And so conflict can really feel like an attack on their identity Mm -hmm. instead of just, you know, a small issue that just needs to be resolved. Right. So if you're engaging conflict with the two, we can remember Be curious about their thoughts and feelings. Twos often need to verbally process things. So ask clarifying questions. Don't use accusatory words and always follow up with an affirmation, especially about the relationship. Yeah. Okay, so that's a two's preferred way to resolve conflict. But let's talk some about ways that they can actually grow in resolving conflict. And the best place to start with a new way to approaching conflict is going to be the gospel. And the gospel reminder for the two, if a two's desire is to be loved, God responds to them with the healing message that you are wanted and loved. God looks at you and says, you are a treasure to me. Mm -hmm. I have always wanted you. I have always loved you. And I always will. And nothing can change that. Mm -hmm. So a two can look in the mirror and say, I want to be loved. Check. Yeah. I am loved. Yes. Right. So in order to avoid falling into that deadly sin of pride, the two is going to need to exercise humility. But what does it look like to exercise humility in a conflict? Okay, so twos can usually, they come across as very humble, but this is like a nuanced look at humility. It's actually the humility to say, I actually have needs. You know, I have desires and it is worth me showing up with my needs, my desires, my preferences, my hopes, my dreams, in this conflict. Right. So I'm not going to take a total backseat mm-hmm. just to smooth this over and just give you everything you want. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up as a real person. And the two can also just practice not taking everything as a personal attack. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody around you is quiet, it does not automatically mean that they're mad at you. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to conflict, all the types can benefit from slowing down and taking a moment to pause and remember God in their situation. So whether you're going into conflict, whether you're in the middle of conflict, whether you're coming out of conflict, what does it look like to take a moment and to realign yourself in your identity and your relationship with God? So we're recommending a breath prayer for each Mm -hmm. of the types. Lindsay, what's the breath prayer for type twos? So as you breathe in, you say, God, you love me, present tense. And then as you breathe out, I am wanted. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that is our teaching about conflict for type two, but we don't want to discuss this alone. So we have a special guest with us today to talk about conflict, Sawyer Witted. Sawyer is a music director and singer-songwriter in the greater Philadelphia area. He is also a certified Enneagram coach with Beyond Your Fears Coaching. He has written original songs for each of the nine types, which he calls Ennea songs. In his spare time, you can find him hammocking with a good book, getting coffee with a friend, 
were watching and dreaming about participating on the reality TV show Survivor. And he's a two on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Sawyer. Thanks, Jesse. Great to be here. Yeah, good to be with you. So let's just start here. When did you first encounter the Enneagram? What insights did you gain from it? Yeah, so I first encountered the Enneagram about seven or eight years ago um, and promptly threw it out. I took a test online and came out as a type two. And I remember I was taking it with like some friends from college and uh, I read the results and saw that they were, uh, you know, the gentle type, the nurturing type, the sensitive type. And I felt a lot of shame over it. And my friends were actually kind of laughing at it because they were like, of course Mm -hmm. you're a two. And so I kind of just like, you know, laughed it off, probably made a a self-deprecating joke or two, and then just like threw it aside. A few years later, post-college, I was laying in a hammock uh, in the backyard, and my friend had sent me this book uh, by Ian Cron, The Road Back to You. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what is this weird Enneagram thing? So I started reading it, and within like the first few pages of getting to my type, type two, I mean, I just started weeping, and I felt so incredibly understood. Um, just for maybe a little history to understand um, why it just hit me so uh, poignantly was that I had just come out of an incredibly codependent friendship from college. Mm. Um, and the whole section that talked about twos and unhealth <laughs> just made me feel very seen in the deepest parts of my heart. Yeah. It made me feel a lot of shame. I hated what I was reading. Um, but I also loved what I was reading because I felt like I had a language to describe my internal world, which is... Um, a very hard thing for me to do naturally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating. Like, you know, I think so many of us, you just described a common experience. Like mm-hmm. when we discover our type, it's like, I feel humiliated. Like yeah. sort of like I, I accidentally went to school <laughs> naked. Like yes. it's just like, yes. I feel so embarrassed about the fact that is this, does all the world know this about me and yeah. I don't? It's so good to be seen. It's so painful to be seen at the same time. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Well, stay with us because when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Sawyer Witted. So we'll be right back. Hey, listeners, it's Hannah. Over the past seven years, we've had over 300 alumni serve in our urban missions program who've come from all around the United States. This is Queen Sheila from Normal, Illinois. Hi, this is Daryl from New Albany, Indiana. This is Erica from Inez, Kentucky. Taylor from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. They've provided over 130,000 work hours free of charge to local ministries. And along their service journey, they have the opportunity to experience deep community and discipleship that prepare them for their next season of life. Like Gideon Battis from Wisconsin shared with us. I feel like Love Thy Neighborhood taught me that I can't make it through life on my own. But you need the people who are there, the deeper connections, the deeper relationships of those who will come along and when they see that you're not doing well, actually dig in to try to figure out what's wrong, what's going on, and how they can help. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30 through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You'll grow in your faith and your life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, 
Hey, welcome back to the IndiaCast. Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And we've been talking with Sawyer Witted, and we are now starting our conversation just about conflict specifically. So, Sawyer, this episode is part of our series on conflict. How do you personally feel when conflict arises? Do you do you find that you tend to fight? Do you tend to avoid? Do you tend to comply? You know, how do you approach conflict? Yeah, so this sounds very six of me, but it depends on the situation. <laughs> um, depends on my health too, how I'm doing, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I tend to comply with conflict for sure. Um, so for me, that looks like if if someone wants to enter into conflict, I will enter into it with them. Um, yeah. I won't. I won't run away from it or pretend like it doesn't exist. I'll enter into that conflict, but I will most likely take all of the responsibility for all mm-hmm. of the problems in that relationship onto myself, um, which is just such an unfair way to live. Um, yeah, I am wired to believe that everything relationally that happens or that that goes wrong is my fault, and so I must fix it by apologizing, by over accommodating, people pleasing. Um, trying to make the other person feel better, you know. Basically, w- what it is is that I will wrestle to have any boundaries of my own, uh, to own what is actually mine, and allow you to deal with what is yours to deal with. It feels like the quickest way to get back to a happy, connected, loving relationship is for this conflict to be over and done with as quick as possible. And as a kid, you know, I learned that the the easiest way for me to do that is to just apologize or to own up what what is my fault. And actually, if there's issues that other people have, I would take that verse in my mind from the Bible that talks about take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone else's. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would use that as an excuse to <laughs> just take everything that is mine and then also the 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 speck out of the other person's eye. Like I'll take responsibility for the speck in your eye too. Because um, that gets us back to a place where you know I f- feel like we're connected again. Yeah. Yeah. What is the aftermath of that? Like, how long does it take after a situation where you've complied, you've taken all the burden? How long does it take before you feel the weight of that what you've just taken? Yeah. I can go a long time, Lindsay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I feel like I have a very large tank of responsibility that I can take on myself before it does fill up. And you're totally right. Like it does, it does fill up because mm-hmm. newsflash, I am a human. I I find that when I, I continually over accommodate and continually people please, I will absolutely all of a sudden flip a switch <laughs> and I go mm-hmm. to eight. Um, what it looks like for me is that I put up these really intense boundaries. So where I had zero boundaries before, I have all of the boundaries, all of the walls, and I refuse mm-hmm. to let anything empathetically affect me. Mm. And so it's interesting. It's like um, I, I found like conflict with my mom growing up. There was plenty of times where like we'd be talking or she'd start to call me out on something. And particularly if she was saying to me, you know, trying to show me a way that I hurt somebody or something like that, which is like the worst thing that I could possibly ever imagine. Right, right, um, yeah. Like I would put up this wall and like empathy would just stop. Like there, there's mm-hmm. no getting into my heart. I didn't know why that was for the longest time and it really bothered me and I always felt so bad about that. And I realized recently in the last few years that I believe the reason that that wall goes up is to really protect my heart from feeling the pain of that responsibility that I carry. Mm-hmm. And that's been like so freeing to realize and also like really defeating sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
almost that sense of like, I, you know, I don't know. Sort of like you go home and you've had a long day and you go home and you're like, oh, crap, the house is a wreck. And you're just like, Mm -hmm. I can't right now. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I will deal with this later, but I cannot even address these issues. But I'm imagining at some level, like, that's that's you, like, relationally. Like, Mm -hmm. you've poured yourself out for so many scenarios and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're like, and I'm done. Like, and all the fuel is spent. Mm -hmm. So even though right now the person I probably should care about the most I've already spent it all. I got nothing left. Right. Uh, Yeah. 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 And there's such a disconnect because like my heart is that I want to care for these people, right? Like I want that. Um, I just, yeah, like you said, I just have nothing left in me, you know? And I think that's part of the pride too of the two is like, I think that I can keep going and keep going and keep going when it's like, oh wait, I'm a human. I have my limits too, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've shared a lot about, you know, what kind of happens on that unhealthy side of type two. Can you tell us about a conflict where you saw yourself really acting out of a healthy side of your type and what was different? Yeah. So um, I had been the worship director at this church for seven years. Um, I was actually attending that church for 21 years. And so most of my life was actually uh, growing up in that church. And just recently in the last month, like a month ago, yeah, um, I officially transitioned out of my position there. And it was really painful. Um, it became clear to me that uh, in that last year of that job that I was greatly appreciated for my gifts in music and what I did, which that is not a bad thing to be appreciated for the things that you do, right? And for the gifts that you have. Um, but it is a bad thing when it ends there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that I was not at all being appreciated for Sawyer. And um, and it's interesting the the passions that I have in my heart and the things that I've, that I spoke up about, which is hard to do, but I spoke mm-hmm. up about, and was like, Hey, I want to take things in this direction or I want to do this or that or, or whatever it may be. Um, yeah. And just not responded to in a healthy or kind way. And so, so many other things went into the decision to leave my church. But anyway, in exiting, uh, I felt myself going to stress, you know, which is my eight path many times, mm-hmm. but it actually felt like I was doing it in a very moderated and helpful way. Mm. So what that looked like was I was able to stand up for myself and for those who are also being treated unfairly. And I actually spoke some very hard truths with a lot of confidence that I knew would be upsetting, but that actually in the end changed some people's viewpoints of who I am, which is like social suicide for a two. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's really hard. Like I've lost some relationships that I've known for years and years and and have had for years and years. And that's really painful. Mm. And yet I have felt so much peace amidst it all of like, I said what I needed to say and they were really bold things. Um, And it was really hard and it is very messy still. Like it's still a really messy situation and probably will be until Jesus returns. Amidst all of that, I have never once felt a lack of peace about what what I have said and how I have shown up in this situation. Mm-hmm. And that feels really empowering. I think a big thing for, for twos is um, kind of feeling a powerlessness, like a powerlessness at the will of others Yeah, because we just bow down to other people. And so the ability to actually stand up and say, wait a second, the Imago Dei is in me. I've been made beautifully and wonderfully and there are things that are going on that are are not fair. And and for me not to speak out is actually enabling um, this kind of behavior to continue as well. Yeah, it's yeah. scary and terrifying. I'm 
my hands are shaking a little bit talking about it now. Mm. Um, but that definitely felt like a time when, yeah, I went into health. What's fascinating, listen to you talk, you know, earlier you were describing a lot of like when you are relationally engaging with people that there can be a lostness in terms of like, where do you, where do I end and where do you begin? Mm-hmm. And like boundaries become very confusing oh, yeah. and disorienting. And, but it, the way you're describing this is a sense of, I see, I see something that's a clear conviction, something mm-hmm. clearly needs to be addressed. I'm going to address it, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to have a boundary that allows me to say, okay, we've we've crossed the threshold mm-hmm. and I need to part ways now and I can't fix everything. Mm-hmm. And so there's a relinquishing. It's hard for all of us to relinquish, but like mm-hmm. for twos to really let things go carries a particular pain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I'm hearing you describe in, a, in different ways like love showed up in the form of truth mm-hmm. and love showed up in the form of healthy boundaries. Mm. And I know we live in an age that like people can put like excessive boundaries. <laughs> that mm-hmm. is almost never the problem with the two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, yep. so I just want to affirm like you know there's very clear evidence of you just exercising good, mm-hmm. good boundaries and love showing up in in, in authenticity, mm-hmm. um, yeah. in, in ways I think that are really important. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys. So how how does knowing the enneagram help you in conflict? Yeah. So. Um, the Enneagram has given me what feels like a key that unlocks so many practical ways to actually navigate conflict, particularly two things. So understanding, A, that not everyone views the world the same way that I do, <laughs> shocker, and B, that everyone has different motivations and fears that get triggered for them within conflict. Uh, both those things have like drastically helped me in relating to others during conflict. It's interesting, my girlfriend, who's a type four, she and I were so thankful to know the Enneagram and to understand each other's triggers better. Um, we had joked that the only reason that we're still together has to do with understanding each other through the Enneagram mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because there's just so many there's so many pitfalls, and I'm sure as you can just imagine with a type two and a type four that um, you can run into. Yeah, just having that language is so helpful. And then same thing with one of my best buddies who's a seven. Um, it just helps us navigate conflict with a language, you know? Though we don't know what's awaiting at the end there, we at least have a language to help each other understand one another in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. So when you are in the midst of a conflict, is there one thing that you wish everybody could know about the type two? Like, what's the secret that we should know? <laughs> I am terrified of rejection. Mm. Utterly terrified of it. I feel like this is both an external and internal thing. So externally... I'm quite simply terrified (laughs) that (laughs) I will become someone who is no longer contributing goodness or love or care Mm -hmm. or nurture or kindness to your life. And if I stop offering that to you, well, then why would you want to keep me around? What worth do I have to you in that case? Um, And this is, you know, one of the core lies that I believe you mentioned. I think, Lindsay, you said in the teaching that two's identity is tied in how helpful they are um, Mm -hmm. or how giving they are. And so when I stop being helpful to you and when I stop being, when I stop giving to you or, or when I'm giving to you something that you don't want or don't appreciate or is actually harmful to you because that happens too, because I'm sinful and broken, I'm terrified that that's going to result in you, you saying, okay, well, clearly I don't need you. Clearly I don't want you. So get out of here. Mm. So that's kind of the external part of it. The internal part of it for me is that there's like this whole relationship that I have with myself too. And I, it's interesting because as a two, you also mentioned the teaching, like we struggle to 
articulate our thoughts and our feelings in the moment. Um, only in the last year have I been able to start practicing this. When I've been in conflict with friends, I've saying to them like, hey, can I actually have like 30 minutes? Can I have a day and just like think like I'm really I feel like I'm getting stuck and I'm having this circular thinking and I need to like go process. But yeah, there's this internal battle that I have with uh, self pity. <laughs> um, mm. I have this self pity of that like accompanies my failures in my relationships. I'm kind of like, oh, I'm I'm the worst. I can't believe that I failed this person. Like, what worth do I have? And it's interesting because this actually pushes me to be even more accommodating, kind, and intrusive in other people's lives. Um, it's not a color that looks good on me. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> not a shade that I like to wear. And so this internal rejection comes where I start to have this self-hatred and this self-deprecating part of me where I just... I can't believe I let someone down again, you know, and then and then an internal rejection of I hate who I am. I don't want to be me. And that's mm -hmm. that's a horrible, horrible place to be. Um, I hate that feeling. I hate how that feels in my body. And I lived there for many, many years in my in my teenage years, particularly and in my college years. And I found it was always worse when I was in codependent relationships, mm. which is interesting. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just you just described shame. I mean, yeah. you just described like mm. the real sense that all people deal with at some level. Now, some of us acknowledge it more than others, but yeah. like we all deal at some level with I am deeply and profoundly embarrassed mm -hmm. about key and core aspects of who I am Ugh. that I seem incapable of changing. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea that other people see and know these things, it only doubles down on it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I also just want to acknowledge this. You talked about like your fear is rejection, but your dream is to go on a survivor. <laughs> I was thinking that exact thing at the beginning. I'm like, I'm like, you're literally putting yourself in a scenario in which the chances are, the odds are showing you're going to get rejected. And there's right. so much conflict. Yeah. Well, well, listen, let me say something to that really quickly. I have thought that exact same thing. Like the the reason why that is is because I want to prove that I can do this and I want to prove it to myself. Like I want to prove mm -hmm. that like, no, you are an independent person who has your own feelings, your own thoughts, your own will, your own freedom, you know, to act on your own behalf. Mm-hmm. Twos mm -hmm. are that sneaky player that they're like, oh my gosh, no, everybody does like <laughs> you, it's right. fine. And then they like write their name down mm -hmm. and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, you got voted off. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, Sawyer, Sawyer will shank you. <laughs> I would kill the social game. I would do so well at the social game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so the, the virtue for your type is humility. How do you think that humility helps your type to approach conflict in a healthier way? Yeah, I heard a teacher of the Enneagram at one point describe the two's humility um, as being nothing more and nothing less than who you are. Mm. And up until that point, I had never thought of humility in that way at all. I always thought humility was, oh, just don't boast in you know anything that you're good at ever. <laughs> um, yeah. And don't make too much of yourself. I think for the longest time, yeah, I, I didn't really understand the true meaning of humility. And so even when people would be like, hey, like, swear, like, Worship sounded really good today. Thank you. Like, I'd just be like, oh, you know, praise the Lord, <laughs> mm -hmm. or one of those trite responses. And in the last few years, I've, I've started to own that and just be like, thank you. Like, I'm really pleased that it was a blessing to you today. Um, or like, thank you for saying that, you know, I felt like it sounded pretty bad today, you know, so it's cool that, mm -hmm. that you felt that way or, or you perceived it that way or whatever. Just being more honest and more authentic. I, th I think that's the big thing with humility and, and kind of where I go to four 
in growth is like that strive for authenticity to be who I am, you know, not more, not, not more where I'm this super Sawyer, you know, Sawyer with a cape and neither am I the other side of humility where I am self-hating Sawyer, where I just feel like I'm the worst, you know, there's a middle ground there for sure to be had, you know, owning the fact that I am beloved by God. I am joint heirs with Christ. I'm royalty. What? <laughs> like owning that, but then also being realizing that, you know, by by the grace of God, there go I. Um, like there's there's a middle ground there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does. Say that definition of humility again that you that you heard. Yeah. So the definition of humility that I've loved and latched onto is being no more and no less than who you are. That's really good. Wonderful. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a great conversation about conflict. I think it's time to go have some of our own. So uh, so stay with us because when we come back, we will be playing Name That Type with Sawyer Witted. We'll be right back. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping your Enneagram story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. It's the Anycast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time for Name That Type. Our game today is Name That Type. Here's how it works. We are going to be given a category, and we will each take turns naming something within that category that we think represents each Enneagram type. For example, if the category is fruit, I might say pineapple for type four because it's unique and a bit prickly. (laughs) After you answer for your turn, the next person will move on with the next type. If on your turn you are unable to come up with an answer within 10 seconds, then that same type will pass to the next person. We will each start out with nine points. Every time you have to pass, you lose a point. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. Are you ready to play? Oh, yeah. All right. Our category is bands, uh, but you can also say uh, musicians, solo artists, you know, all things in the musical realm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Mm -hmm. not high school bands. We're not saying we're not saying that. Not (laughs) marching marching band. (laughs) 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 Okay, so we're going to start with type one. Sawyer, we're going to let you go first. So we're going to start with type one. Bands. Hmm. Suddenly I forgot all of the bands that exist in the world. Exactly, that's my problem. Um. Oh, time's up. <laughs> Do you have one? I've got nothing, guys. Okay. Type one band, The Killers. Ooh. No idea who that is. Why? 
because if you've ever been around a one when they're really mad, mm. they there's some anger there. Mm. There's some anger there. So they're mm. killing. And they, angst. They bully. Okay. Yeah. So type one I killers. Like okay, Lindsay, type two. Sandy, Patty, and friends. Oh my gosh. I had it right away. <laughs> oh. Gerber, isn't that his name? The little puppet. I don't know. What? Uh, I producer, had this cassette. Of producer Sandy Rachel Zabo is shaking her head. Yes. Gerber, apparently, yes. you both know Sandy Patty. And she's beautiful feet. Beautiful feet. Yeah. Can you hang on to that, Sandy Patty, please? <laughs> okay, Sawyer, type three. Type three. Oh, I thought you were going to do type three. I was thinking four over here. <laughs> oh, see, we mixed no, we're it back up to you. because we're back we to you. had to All right, past. type three. Um, the Proclaimers. Mm, okay. Because I feel like they are showy, mm-hmm. maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All musicians have that three element. That's true. Okay, Performers, back right? to me. Type four, Seeger Ross. Seeger Ross. Oh, that's a good one. I actually know who that is. Yeah. Okay, type five. Can we just say like classical music in general? <laughs> no. No? We cannot say categories. You gotta say something specific. Can I say like the New York Symphony? We'll allow it. Yes. <laughs> okay, type six, Sawyer. Honestly, I think I'm gonna go with Coldplay. Mm. I love Coldplay. And I feel like in a lot of their lyrics, they talk about fear and anxiety, and they're just very like authentic people. Mm-hmm. They do have like a more of an optimistic outlook on things. I mm-hmm. feel like, which is maybe it's six with a seven wing. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that's what my gut's saying. Okay, type seven to me. Uh, I'm gonna say Black Eyed Peas. Mm. Party music. Ah, yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, type eight, Lindsay. The Civil Wars. Oh, good Ooh, answer. Yeah, Civil War. I thought you were going to say them. Sandy Patty again. <laughs> I, I, I was tempted to say DC Talk. Sandy <laughs> <laughs> Patty when they're stressed. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, type, sorry, type nine. Yeah, do you guys know the band The Arcadian Wild? Yes. I feel like oh, they... Oh, you don't. Jesse doesn't know. <gasps> Jesse. Are they mainstream? They're Christian punch brothers. Jesse, okay. it will change your life. <laughs> okay. Um, their music is so peaceful and so soothing. And mm-hmm. like one of their biggest topics I feel like they discuss is tension. And I feel like that is just the life of the nine. Mm-hmm. That's good. pretty good. It's good. I think I was playing slightly different than, than you guys. I was playing literally the name yeah. of the band has to that's how denote I, yeah. the Yeah. I realized you were doing that partway through and that's why I chose the Civil Wars. But yeah. originally I was just thinking more the vibe of the music. I wasn't yeah. thinking that way at all. <laughs> so he was just surviving yeah. the, the game. He's <laughs> over here sweating, trying to like keep his head above water. <laughs> we all got nine points, no. right? Sawyer lost a point. So we have nine. He has eight. Okay. Well, high five, uh, high five Lindsay. I'll just self five. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, pat yourself on the back. Okay. <laughs> all right. And now it is time for five final questions. Lindsay, I'll let you start. All right. Number one, who are two people you currently admire? No biblical characters allowed. Yeah. So I'm going to name two of my friends, actually. Um, one of them you guys have actually had on your podcast, um, Adam mm-hmm. Breckenridge. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I would name him first. He's someone that I deeply admire. He and I have become friends in the past year. And every time we chat, I just feel so seen and loved by him. Um, mm. he's Those so sixes, kind. man, they make, they make good friends. Oh my gosh, yeah. He's so kind, like incredibly wise. Um, I think I cry almost every time that he talks to me um, because mm-hmm. he just like sees into my soul. Um, and he's just safe safe to be around, you know? That's awesome. Um, 
Yeah, and the second person I would say is a buddy of mine um, who lives across the country from me in California. His name is Spencer. Uh, he is a four. Um, and the way that he just pursues our friendship and sits with me in the hard feelings that I am often too scared of and don't want mm. to sit in, um, and the way that he sees me for who I am and not for what I offer as a two who, who often struggles with feeling unheard and unseen, his friendship has been such a symbol and example to me of Jesus's love for me and that Jesus sees me and hears me. It's good. It's good. Uh, question number two, how do you like to waste time? Uh, I love to hike. Mm-hmm. I also go on walks regularly. I feel like I'm an 80-year-old man, but I love to go for walks. Um, or, unsurprisingly, hang out with people, with friends, uh, waste an hour just shooting the breeze or or whatever. That's good. That's good. I'm also an 80-year-old person. I actually walk the mall in the mornings before <laughs> it opens amazing. like a true old person. Like a true yes. octogenarian. Yes, octogenarian. Yes. Yeah, she has on pediatric shoes right now. <laughs> whatever. I love it. <laughs> All right, number three. What is on your nightstand right now? Well, other than my essential oils diffuser, of course, uh, I have a stack of books that I want to read but have not read yet. Um, they're just collecting dust. However, there is one book that I'm just about to finish, and uh, it's called All Together You by Jenna Remersma. Mm. And it's about uh, internal family systems therapy. And it's a very like self-paced book to kind of walk you through it. And I absolutely love it helps me learn to relate to the parts of me that I don't really like um, mm. in a more positive uh, way like Jesus would relate to them. That's awesome. Okay, question number four. What is an important lesson that you've learned from failing? Ugh, this is like hard for me to say because I'm still trying to learn it and like believe it, but that people who genuinely love me will still love me even when I fail and hurt them. Mm. Uh, that my worthiness of love is not dependent on how well I love Thank God. <laughs> um, this is like a core lesson of my type. And I feel like type twos need to learn this the most. I, I feel like I'm in a constant state always of forgetting this and remembering it and fighting to believe it and fighting to to preach it to my heart and my body and my soul and epically failing to do all of that at the same time. <laughs> um, yeah, it's quite a journey, but thankful for grace in the midst of it, you know. Mm. All right. Number five. What do you want to hear God say to you when you die? This is so easy for me to answer. It's like so clear as day in my mind because I just cannot wait to hear Jesus and and God the Father look at me and say, I have always cherished you, Sawyer. Mm. Like there's something very specific about that word cherish that just, yeah, permeates my soul. Mm. Beautiful. Well, Sawyer, thank you so much for your time today and for opening up your heart to us and sharing so much with our listeners. And mm-hmm. um, we just really enjoyed our time with you. Yeah, of course. It's been really great to be here. So thanks for having me, guys. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Sawyer Witted. To learn more about Sawyer's Enneagram coaching, check out byfcoaching.com. You can also check out his original Ennea songs through his Instagram at soyjoy96. Also, special thanks to Crosspoint Ministry who helped train us in the Enneagram. You can check them out at crosspointministry.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. We provide internships focused on service, community, and discipleship for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. 
Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was edited by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Rachel Zabo is our media director and producer. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Thank you.